Welcome to Shiro's Journey, a podcast for Shiro's and the people who love them. Episode 7, Approach the Inmost Cave. I'm Pamela Prather, and for over 20 years, I've been empowering actors, executives, and curious humans with tools to unlock their voices and tell their stories. Along the way, I found that for me, voice is about more than just how I speak. It's a spiritual journey. It's about connecting my inner voice to the outer world. It's about breath, resonance, and deep listening. It's how I show up every day as a coach, a mom, a friend, a sister, a poetic soul, and a passionate human. The structure of Shiro's Journey podcast is loosely based on the path outlined by Joseph Campbell in his book, The Hero's Journey, but it's from a woman's perspective. And in each episode, I talk with awesome Shiro's as they answer the call to adventure, battle the dragons, and ultimately win. Plus, there is a segment called Me and the Kid, a chat with my 11-year-old son that allows us to experience the world through the open eyes and candid voice of my kiddo. I hope you'll find inspiration, fuel, and even a little laughter as you imagine how you can amplify your own journey in the world. Hello, friends, and thank you so much for joining the Shiro's Journey adventure with me yet again. Today's episode focuses on stage seven of the Shiro's journey, and that is approaching the inmost cave. I see the cave as a metaphor for going deeply and authentically into the heart of the matter. This is the part of the journey where we keep driving through, even though we might feel scared to death. And guess what? Something is going to die. And something is going to be reborn. And that means we can't fall asleep at the wheel. We've got to persevere. I recently read a quote in one of my meditations by Cynthia Borgolt, who was speaking of awakening the heart and the mind. She said, I quote, We fall asleep rather than allowing ourselves to be shocked awake. For all of us, such spiritual sleepwalking bypasses the crucial first step, that moment when the heart has to find its way not through external conditioning, but through a raw immediacy of presence. Only there, in the cave of the heart, as the mystics are fond of calling it, does a person come in contact with his or her own direct knowingness. And only out of this direct knowingness is sovereignty born, one's own inner authority. If you're listening to this podcast in real time, then it is March of 2021, and we have been living as a society in a kind of darkness, in a cave, with the pandemic and all of the challenges around hunkering down. Many people literally are in their own caves, their homes, apartments, and forced to go inward. There's a reason the pandemic has been a great for places like Home Depot and Lowe's. People are pausing and looking at their inner physical spaces and cleaning out, clearing out the rubbish, refreshing, right? And we can also use this time, truly use this time, 
to go into the cave of the heart to call on bear medicine. And that's bear, B-E-A-R, right? Bear medicine. And look for those places within ourselves that might not be illuminated to go into dream time. Calm the chatter and listen. I remember when my coaching business was just a dream. I grew up in a pretty typical middle-class American family in the 70s, and my mom was primarily a stay-at-home mom until we got a bit older, and, and then she began to work. But I never had a real role model of an empowered female entrepreneur and business owner in my family. One of my grandmothers was a teacher and a bit of a journeyer, kind of a wild woman, Alice. <laughs> she didn't get married until she was 27. And the other, my Graham, was a homemaker. And she did that her entire life. And while I'm super grateful for the values of kindness and love and honesty and hard work and integrity that my family lineage has gifted me with, part of my personal Shiro's journey has been to find a wholeness within myself and the ability to stand both independently and collaboratively on my own two feet, within and without partnership. So when I was divorced five years ago, and I began to truly envision the ability to manifest an abundant life, I swear to you, I felt paralyzed with fear. I had not lived alone for over 20 years. And I remember feeling so scared and grasping for somebody, please, somebody to walk through it with me, looking for someone or something outside myself. And I came to find that nobody can walk through it. They can't go through those dark places with me. I had to quarantine in the cave of my heart and I had to figure it out. Now, the good news is this. There are guides and supporters and healers and books and messages and all that along the way. And they can inspire you and give you the breath to move another step into the scary places that are yours alone. But you don't have to be alone, you know? So around that time, I reached out to one of my dearest friends, a true soul sister, who was also on her quest of the divine feminine. And she's one of those friends where you pick up the phone and, and it can be like a year since you've talked and, and it feels like it's 10 minutes, right? We all have those friends. Anyway, she's one of those. And she led me to meet a shaman who definitely provided some fabulous and mystical guidance on my journey. And he suggested I do some deeper work with plant medicine. And that was about three years ago. And I wanted to find a place in nature, not too far from me, so I could spend a weekend focused on my work. And that, my friends, is how I met our podcast guest today, the gifted and visionary medicine woman, Rachel Sessions. I remember driving from Connecticut to the Catskills. It was a dark and snowy night on a windy back country road. And as I reflect back now, I felt like I was literally driving to the mouth of the cave. 
I remember walking through the crunchy snow and cold and then entering a natural pine beamed room with super high ceilings and huge windows overlooking the woods. It was dark and there were stars outside sort of coming in between the clouds and the snowy, snowy, uh, you know, flurries, right? A soft light filled the space and candles and Palo Santo incense burning. I hope you can see it, smell it, and feel it. The yoga mats, cushions in a circle around a center that held totems, uh, flowers, feathers, beautifully bright colored cloths with butterflies. It was almost like I'd stepped into another world, a sacred magic temple that would help propel me into that inmost cave within myself to seek my inner wisdom. And in that dark night of drumming and meditating and weeping and healing, I went so deep within myself and released so many fears and began to once again find my own strength. And I remember the clearest vision that came to me that night and lives with me daily. It was an embodied visceral awareness of an ever-present, deeply burning, white, golden light of love just searing through me. I'll never forget it. I hope that today's guest can help illuminate your path in the way she has helped me. Rachel Sessions is a devotional singer, a mother, a shamanic practitioner. Her voice is truly a gift. And she uses it to transmit prayer, peace, and possibility. In fact, I'm playing her original music throughout this podcast, and links to that are in the show notes. She's got a couple of albums out right now, full-length albums of medicine music, and continues her work worldwide with her children and her beloved partner. But for now, take us on your walk, your run, in your car, or just find a quiet place to chill. And enjoy my heart-to-heart with the one and only Rachel Sessions as she helps us navigate the inmost cave. I thank you, Ho'oponopono, 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 I'm sorry. Hey there, Pamela. Hi, Rachel. Oh my gosh. I am so over the moon to be here with Rachel Sessions today uh, as we approach the inmost cave together. And it's really amazing to be at episode seven and sharing this with Shiro's and the people who love them out there. And to especially highlight this really, really beautiful Shiro who has been in my life for several years now. And uh, as I told you, shared with you guys a little before about how we met, you know, this is a woman, we are here with a woman, you can't see her, but she's got these incredibly piercing blue eyes. So maybe you can feel that through the vibration of the sound waves and in her voice. And when I came to this uh, thought of someone helping a person explore, experience the dragons, (laughs) the inmost cave. I thought, Rachel. So Rachel, hello and welcome. 
Thank you for having me, Pamela. So happy to be here with you and your listeners. Yeah, it's great. I thought, you know, it'd be such a wonderful gift for them to learn a little bit about your journey and hear kind of not only, you know, Rachel is a shamanistic healer, guide, visionary, uh, just an incredible woman, but she's also a mom. Uh, which is another part of, in, you know, there's another inner cave there that I think we can exper- explore and, and talk about today. But maybe let's start with this, this journey into shaman. And I, I guess, how do you identify yourself and what led you to this path where I met you? Yeah, that's a great question, Pamela. I usually go I I usually try to find the verbiage that's going to make the most sense to the person I'm talking to. Um, (laughs) But for the most part, the one that resonates the most for me is medicine woman or medicine carrier, um, of which I feel like we all are, but I'm awake to the fact that I carry medicine inside of me, my voice, my wisdom, my experience, um, also the traditions that I've learned through my life that I carry and share uh, the technologies. And so I found myself on this path of coming into, you know, my gifts as a medicine carrier um, really haphazardly and unexpectedly, I'd say about 12 years ago um, in New York city, I was a student at NYU and having a real coming of age and feeling really displaced and, confused. I like I wasn't following what my heart path was, but I couldn't articulate that at the time. And it was in a yoga class. I just had this moment in Savasana that just jolted me right out of Savasana, the invitation to do a teacher training program, which was their first. Um, I had never considered that before, but that ended up being the gateway to a huge shamanic initiation. Um, that unfolded, you know, over many years, but through that training then opened me into meeting other allies and friends that kept turning me on to new, new tools, new experiences. And I ended up really um, finding myself at home there and learning just by, by being uh, in service mostly. And and have come to this point of wielding an an incredible amount of, of shamanic tools. I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful. I've been fortunate to work with you over the years, and it's been such a healing part of my journey and continues to be part of my the medicine that you offer in helping one find one's own medicine is incredibly powerful. I heard you say home, and that is an interesting an interesting word and concept. And I wonder if you can tell me more about what what is home mean to you? That's a great question, Pamela. As I've been moving and moving and moving and moving and redefining what is what is home, I can't seem to find it on the outside. And it keeps teaching me a lot about what that really means because I keep finding it deeper and deeper inside of myself. When when I say home, it's this feeling of being myself, being free, being at peace with what is exactly as I am, exactly as conditions are. And, you know, this feeling of being held by something greater as well as being in your power as an individual 
and connected, connected to something, connected to, to whatever, you know, that, that might be like a sense of family. You know, I keep saying to my kids and to my partner, like you're, you feel like home to me, even when we're moving all over the place, all over the world, it feels like home. Um, but you know, I find home inside of myself, you know, when I can slow down and connect. So when you're thinking about this, you just said slowing down and connecting. And I think so many people have been in such a state of disconnect perhaps and or uh, turbulence in the last year. Mm-hmm. And as we are starting to come into the springtime and, you know, it's kind of a time of coming out of hibernation, right? But before you can come out, you kind of have to go in, don't you? Mm-hmm. Yeah, much deeper. And a lot of us in the global, every everywhere being given different opportunities to go deep into a dark, a dark reflection, a dark space, dark realities of what's going on around us, dark parts of ourselves, especially as many of us have been experiencing quarantine at some differing points and differing forms over these past months, that in and of itself is, you know, facing who you are um, with a lot being stripped away from you and having to, to acknowledge the dark, dark side. I hear you say dark side, and it really makes me think deeply, even more deeply than ever around the judgment of Mm -hmm. dark and light. Mm -hmm. And I wonder if you could say more about the dark. Yeah. Well, I mean, for shamanic folk we like to look at the elemental nature of things to learn and to reflect ourselves to understand ourselves and so in nature most is dark most is space most is void and there's very little matter you know light uh, in existence and so we see this natural balance of light and dark without one you can't have the other and so coming from that perspective, we see the dark as, as just a, a part of the balance, part of creation, a part of the building blocks of creation. But there's definitely a lot of judgment from the human mind towards the darkness, so much fear projected into that space. I also like to think of dark as just the unknown, as the unilluminated, yet not, not yet illuminated. Um, And I think about that as I turn to shamanic journeys and feel that sense of fear and reminding myself that I just am fearing the unknown. I have no idea what's in that space yet. And the dark can be lit and still be dark, right? Yes. I was reading something the other day, and uh, I'm just going to paraphrase it, but it's something to the effect that, you know, that there is a moment like when the heart finds that we, we have to go not through sort of external conditioning, but through the immediacy of presence. And and that is the cave of the heart, Mm. right? And as opposed to sort of going around it and, but there's a kind of going into the cave, into that innermost part of ourselves that perhaps has dark and light, I would hazard to say does have light and dark and neither is better or worse. Can you talk about that a little bit, how you help illuminate that? You know, one part really in in my journeying toward that space and assisting people in journeying toward that space is purification because there's a lot of interference along the way and it 
it's fine, you know, but it, 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 it's, it's helpful if you can purify yourself, you don't have to go through so much of this kind of mucky, uh, sticky, uh, challenge and we can kind of get more to the heart of the matter. Um, so understanding, you know, how you can purify yourself, how can I refine when, you know, purification is really, I like to see it in the shamanic perspective of just coming back to your own energy. So removing some of the interferences of which we have a lot and it's, you know, day to day uh, media or certain food sources or um, other people that are our friends, our family members, our environment, all of these things have, you know, an effect on us. It, it like, you know, if we can imagine ourselves as beings of light, it distorts the light in a way. It's like putting a kaleidoscope or um, stained glass over ourselves, you know, and it can be beautiful. But as we are journeying to meet the innermost cave, we want to come uh, most in touch with our own energies. And so in that way, you know, you could take time to yourself, time in silence, time in nature, um, time eating more clean, just reducing the amount of processed foods and sugars and other types of substances that can kind of alter uh, our perception so that we have a clean perception going in, understanding that we're going to meet both light and dark. And, and the cleaner that we can come, the more clearly we can see what we're going to meet and, and respond accordingly. I love what you're saying. Uh, it's so, it of course really resonates with me. I wonder from a shamanic perspective and from leading people through different healings and meditations that you've done over the years, what are some of the patterns that you see coming up that keep people from fully going into that innermost cave? Yes, a lot of familial patterns, for sure. Childhood traumas that we might not even label as such, but we see, say, um, you know, lack of self-confidence, like real challenges with self-doubt. Um, I see that coming up a lot, both for myself and for others, just not believing maybe that you're worthy of it. You don't deserve it. Um, I should just be grateful for what I have. I'm just going to stick it out. I'm just going to settle. This kind of worthiness dialogue can be really powerful for people. The other side of that, I already know everything, the super narcissistic ego side that doesn't allow for enough humility uh, to go there, to acknowledge some of the, the dark parts of oneself, the things that you don't know. Sometimes, you know, it can be, you know, traps of dependency, thinking that you need something else in order to get there and forever creating these perpetual hurdles for yourself. Oh, when I have this, then it's going to work for me. Then I'll be able to go there. Or, oh, I can't let go of this thing, this substance, this person, the situation long enough. Um, and another one is like, you know, just, um, unwieldy emotion, you know, people not having the skills and the tools that they need uh, to be self-responsible in their relationship to their emotional energy and to a point that it's very depleting or wild or, you know, chaotic and creates a lot of disruption, um, distraction, <laughs> you know, constant distraction. You're just always distracted. And on that note too, busyness, constant busyness keeps us from mm -hmm. getting to that, that, deep heart cave too. Those are a lot of so stumbling points. Rich. <laughs> yes, 
so rich. I'm loving this conversation. I'm laughing because I'm thinking about right before we started the recording and we were just talking about how, you know, it's like you're going from kids to a work thing to then, you know, this moment, which I love, I love doing the podcast. I love sharing these awesome Shiro stories. And, uh, you know, you and I were just chatting about how do we as women uh, who juggle a lot make space for this time of reflection and heart space, time in the innermost cave, dot, dot, dot. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, that's a huge question. That's something that that came up so strong for me as a, as a young mother. And I've been to so many extremes and trying to figure that out, you know, just going to the extreme of just throwing myself into being a mother and being really responsible for the physical realms, uh, but then feeling depleted in my kind of going inward and connecting with myself spiritually and then going to the other extreme and connecting with myself so spiritually that it's like my, my, my physical world is a mess. Um, so where's that balance is, is been such a deep question for me and I'm definitely still figuring it out. Um, but one of the biggest things that I've been learning recently is boundaries and priorities committing to myself as a priority you know the perspective that i keep learning is for the highest and best good of the whole and so i keep thinking oh well, i'm in serving the whole so i'm going to sacrifice myself but i am a part of the whole and so like even in the small network of my whole as a family if i'm not well then i can't take care of my children and part of my well-being is being with myself in that innermost space um so i have to like totally commit first and foremost to that being important to me and then how do i achieve it is like asking for more help you know, I've been definitely reaching out and, and letting go of this, you know, this ideology that I'm like a super mom, superhuman, going to do everything myself. And I need to ask for help so that I can go into those spaces. And that's been a really beautiful gift to learn, to learn, to ask for more help. <laughs> I really appreciate you talking about this because I think so many women feel like I'm the only one who can't do it all <laughs> or, or uh, nobody else feels as unworthy as I do, you know? And so as we have these kinds of conversations and recognize that many of us share, many, many humans, uh, but women in particular share a lot of these same fears and, and, this idea that there is a reward in the journey, but it may not be a kind of linear mm -hmm. goal centric reward. And part of this reinvestigating Joseph Campbell's hero's journey from a woman's perspective is a little bit rewriting it because I think a lot of times, you know, it's like, okay, we're going to go into the cave and then what are we going to get? You know? <laughs> yeah, the masculine is very linear. And so, you know, what about uh, we're going to go into the cave and we just know that by approaching it, by approaching it with an open-hearted curiosity, uh, humility, bravery, uh, asking for help if we need it, that we are going to illuminate our lives even further, right? 
Yeah, it's that that deep, you know, I feel that that sense of deep trust, that deep, like, well of unknown, but that trust in that unknown. Um, and also that surrender of controls. Like we, we don't know exactly what we're going to find. It makes me think also about birthing and finding like the child at the center of the cave, the center of the womb. We have no idea. We know it's a child, but we have no idea what that gift is and what's going to come of that life. And this is the same as in any quest. You know, we have no, we have no idea really. It's just the superficial levels to stay super humble. <laughs> In part two of our interview, Rachel talks about surrender, acceptance, and being present to what truly is happening in the flow of life and death. I'm reading a book right now. I don't know if you have ever come across Michael Singer. He wrote The Untethered Soul. He wrote a book called The Surrender Experiment my journey into life's perfection. And, uh, you know, and he talks about this extraordinary kind of freedom in surrender. And I wonder if you could chat a little bit more about that, especially in those scary moments, either from your own perspective or witnessing others move through that. It's, it's closer to me to like a, such a deep state of acceptance it, it feels to me like accepting that I'm so deeply loved and this is somehow the most loving thing that could happen. Even if I can't understand it, my mind is too limited somehow. I surrender my mind, the understanding, the need to understand, and I exist in what's happening with a deeper, you know, like what, what seems to fall away is that my mind, my ego, somehow I have the ability to control, to make some, this better and to accept that this is the best. This is the absolute best. How can I more deeply receive it? And so it's like, like in that, I see the vagina, like just opening. It's like, in that you open it's the essence of the feminine to just open and to receive exactly what is and then like the, the gift just bloop, falls out <laughs> there it is so it's, it's like seeing that the dilation how can i open more deeply is is my my interpretation of surrender yeah it's almost a dilation of the heart mm -hmm. right mm -hmm. going in that innermost cave so this quote I wanted to share with you from the surrender experiment. Mm -hmm. My formula for success was very simple. Do whatever is put in front of you with all your heart and soul without regard for personal results. Do the work as though it were given to you by the universe itself because it was. It reminds me of when I, when I became pregnant with my first son. And it felt like that, like a gift from the universe that I was in no way ready for. I was a young mother. I was 23 when I got pregnant. And, and it was, it was like, okay, I'm going to do this work. I'm going to be the, the mother. This is a gift from the divine. I just have to like, and I just, even though I couldn't some, on some levels believe that I was kind of coaching myself <laughs> to it, 
but it, it has been that such a journey of that. So that's a beautiful quote. It makes me also think as you're talking about this idea of not being ready, <laughs> you know, it's when somebody's going through a shamanic healing, some kind of work, I imagine you come across people not suddenly deciding they're not ready. And how do you help it when you notice as the facilitator, as the spiritual midwife, mm -hmm. uh, the disconnect between the head and the heart or the ego and the heart space? Yeah, that's a beautiful point. You know, I feel that. And, and what I feel in that is like, what's not ready is the death. Because, and what I felt so much as, as I became a mother and what I was resisting, what I didn't feel ready for was the death of my prior self. And so in these moments with these journeys and the journeyers, it's like their ego, they're part of their identity not being ready to die to, to whatever. And, and for me, the key is leaning in to the pain and the grief, uh, the sensation of the death in that moment because it's so under-recognized. Like I didn't feel at all recognized as a mother grieving, grieving all the ideas that I had for what I would do before I had a child or all the places that I would go and the people that I would see and who I was and all these fantasies and dreams and they have a life of their own. Um, and it's not to say that we should be attached to them, but we should honor them as they go and say, okay, thank you for that inspiration and that, that, that feeling. And so it's helping people just to feel okay with the grief and the pain and the agony of letting something die. And then as we lessen that resistance, the death happens quite naturally and gracefully. And then the birth comes, you know, and, and everything continues to flow. But as we resist the death, it, it makes it a lot harder. It seems that, you know, as a, I mean, I would say you and I both identify as white American women. Is that true? Fair to yes. say? Yeah. Uh, as one, you know, one of our identities, but, mm -hmm. and mothers, but, uh, you know, coming from this, this background of Americans, uh, culture, it does certainly seem like there's not a lot of space for death. No. No, that's a really, really great point, Pamela. And I think we're really being faced with that, uh, with COVID, you know, obviously this huge epidemic. Suddenly all these death rates are skyrocketing. We're looking at our elderly in a new way. Um, we're looking at mortality in a whole different way and death in a whole different way. So I think it's an important thing that we continue to acknowledge. Um, but all the minute deaths, you know, I see it, especially for the Americans. Um, and, and as I travel outside of the country, I'm, I'm reminded more and more of just like our attachment to our material belongings, our attachment to our comfort, our attachment to having things the way that we like them. Um, just so much that we are attached to materially. Um, and, and we also have this, this perpetual paradigm being pumped to us of more, more, more. We always need more. And it's never what's the balance when I get more, what can I be letting go of? And this constant give and take, we're very focused on just the take, 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 take as a culture, as a whole. Um, so I think it's very important and we're being forced to lean into the letting go and what we can purge ourselves of, what we can let die so that we can step into something new. I wonder if you have any personal examples 
of a site. So, so for some women who've given birth or, or have children, I imagine our stories will resonate, but what about, you know, maybe a woman who's chosen not to take that path mm-hmm. or for some reason isn't, but is also, you know, still has a lot of obviously these same kinds of struggles. What are some moments where you've experienced that innermost cave uh, in yourself or witnessed it in others? And what what particularly helped you or that person get through it? Even prepping for this call, I kept thinking so much about one of my first kind of deep initiations was when my husband died um, about six years ago. And that was such a dark cave for me, um, going through that sudden death experience. And I was pregnant at the time, uh, which is why I was kind of avoiding it because it's like, you know, it was so tied into to that. But um but it was such an initiation by its own right, especially for me as a, as a medicine woman to be faced against some real dark potentials, um, this dark cave, both outwardly, you know, the grief of the loss of your beloved. Um, but it was in a context that was also very challenging and dark um, being within the shamanic community. Uh, there's, there's a lot of, you know, jealousy and greed, uh, as in other communities, you know, it's, it's, it's a reflection of the global truth, our human truth. So it's not like all shamans are enlightened. And- <laughs> no, hardly. <laughs> no, right? Hardly. Uh, we, we face it like, and sometimes even more so, it feels even more acute because, because the, these are a group of individuals who are really focused on uh, seeing the truth and working with our power as humans and our creative potential as spiritual beings. And so it can bring all of this up to the surface. So long story short, short it was it was a big controversy of of a lot of um you know is it this potentially uh a not and not accidental death um what are the interplays of other individuals within the shamanic community and greed and jealousy and the whole dynamic and so it was very challenging for me um to navigate not only as his partner, but also as a, as a shamanic practitioner, as I was currently at the time, and to decide, like, how do I move forward? How do I navigate this really challenging confrontation with some of the most dark elements um, of, of this work and my relationship to it? And so I remember, you know, it took me a long time, you know, and I remember trying to rush myself through it, but I am grateful for how long it took. Um, but, you know, I think it was about nine months. I finally came out and, and the message that really came through for me was, which wolf are you feeding? Both, like we were beginning with, the dark and the light are a part of existence and are a part of creation. And which wolf are you feeding? How do you decide to walk? on your path. You have complete choice over what you do and what you believe. Do you live in fear or do you live in love? Do you live in revenge and vengeance and hate and greed, jealousy, that whole dynamic? Or do you choose to offer something different into the world that might be some kind of a balance to that and to continue to to lean into that? That was a big part of what got me through that, that dark cave moment. 
Very powerful. I think that idea of rushing the journey <laughs> is something probably that uh, many people can relate to. Yeah. Yeah. It's a feel like, uh, and again, to go back to the birthing analogy, which you and I both share, it's, you know, it, you don't get to decide the exact moment. We try to, you know, to medicalize it and mm -hmm. schedule a C-section or whatever. And sometimes that is what has to happen. Mm -hmm. But, but even that is, you know, there, there is a timing around that. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, allowing, I'm hearing you say there's this an allowing, uh, in conjunction with the surrender. That's really important. Mm -hmm. Yeah, very much. And, you know, sometimes the sensation, you know, I think all of us in some way are gifted with, with, with vision. And we have the sense, like the seed, we feel it. Like it's like what we know is at the inmost cave. It's like what we feel on the other side of this dark wall. And it's just like, oh, can't we just be there now? I feel it. I know I can be that way. I know my life can feel this way. And so it feels frustrating, like the juxtaposition of that seed. And then like the reality of where you are, you're not there yet. And just being being good with the journey, you know, being like, for example, one of the mottos that always comes is the obstacle is the way, you know, these obstacles are not in your way. They are a part of the way and you can't rush a journey. You can't try to skip over that part. You know, this is all part of the gift. <laughs> you don't teach us all to time travel or something. We can't just kind of go. <laughs> I wish I'd be there. No. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah no this is so so delicious and so important and such good medicine to digest and remember that uh there is that kind of light within that will illuminate the dark places and dark isn't a bad thing you know mm -hmm. it's it's necessary mm -hmm. And more and more, I feel like we have to keep leaning into the dark, you know, just make it our mother, make it our friend, make it an ally, get to know it because it's coming up. It's coming up in, in ugly ways because it's been so repressed and so ignored and so rejected and pushed and resisted against. And I know for myself, I too do it. And it's like, it's that resistance tornado that makes the situation so much di more difficult than it needs to be in facing the dark. Then when we can, you know, like Rumi says, make it a, a, an ally, a friend at the table, invite it to, to have some tea with us and get to know what, what, it's here to illuminate. Um, and we need to do that not only in our own lives, but with our families and globally. It's like, I think of all the things that I've avoided saying to my loved ones because it feels too dark or, you know, the, the changes that I feel like hesitant in making because it's going to make too many waves in my workplace. And it's like, no, this is, this is the time that we really, we really have to lean in and, and appreciate the gifts that are going to be there. How do you know when it's a hell yes, like this is the cave I got to go into? I don't think there's any any way that you could be mistaken. You know, it's like you're never off path. You're always on a path. Like, I mean, and it's like for me with the hell yes, it's like it's either a yes or a no. If it's a maybe, it's a no. 
if it's a yes, it's a yes. If it's a yes, just it's a hell yes. You're on the path. <laughs> <laughs> the first time I heard that was from a friend we both share, Elsa. Um, <laughs> and she said to me that, uh, Pamela, it's either a no or a hell yes. There's nothing to do. Uh, and uh, you just, uh, you know, I, I just love that. And I love that each person in our lives can offer a kind of seed of wisdom and perhaps a little bit of illumination in those caves, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Those those seeds of wisdom, I mean, we carry them. We carry them with us everywhere we go, all the incredible friends and teachers and allies and people we haven't even realized as allies and friends, you know, the ones that we probably don't think of first are the, the, the biggest ones. <laughs> that is another podcast. <laughs> Thank you for being a medicine carrier. Thank you for being here. And thank you for um, helping me on my journey. And I'm sure you're going to help others too. Thank you, Pamela. Thank you for the honor of walking with you and supporting you <laughs> and watching you face your innermost cave in many moments. <laughs> it's been so glorious to witness. So thank you for that and for sharing it with, with this community. Namaste. Namaste. Rachel's voice is truly healing medicine that the world needs right now. I know I have been playing both of her albums, Dream of This World and The Beauty Way, on my Spotify playlist, and just having those mantras, those sounds, that vibration flowing through me, it really just makes my day more grounded and helps me traverse through my own dark places, navigate my fear, connect with the light, surrender my ego, and heal and heal and heal some more. <laughs> Rachel actually recommended listening to the song Bear Medicine, B-E-A-R again, Bear Medicine, because Bear is the keeper of the innermost cave. I wonder which of the songs are going to speak to you. I would love an email at sherosjourney at gmail.com and let me know. I'll pass it on to Rachel. You can find Rachel's music on Bandcamp or Spotify and follow her on her Facebook page to learn more about her offerings. All the links are in the show notes, as always. Now coming up, me and the kid, where you get my 11-year-old son's perspective on approaching the innermost cave. I wonder what he's going to say this time. I never know until we record it. You can find all of the Me and the Kid edited episodes on IGTV and YouTube. She Rose Journey. She Rose Journey. Me and the Kid. The Kid. Me and the Kid. Yeah. <laughs> Hi, Harrison. Hi, Mom. I know you just woke up. You're a little crabby this morning, aren't you? <laughs> no. Okay. All right. So, you know, we're here to do uh, Me and the Kid again, episode seven. Yep. How about that? Seven. That's, that's actually Apollo's um, number. Cool. Great God Apollo. That's his um, godly number. So. I didn't know that was Apollo's godly number. That's cool to know. Well, in any case, this is about approaching the inmost cave. Oh. I'm sure Apollo could relate to that a little. <laughs> And that has to do with doing something or being in a place where it's scary, right? Where yeah. you're not sure what's going to happen next. Mm -hmm. And I have a thought about that I wanted to ask you, which okay. is 
uh, you are going to be moving soon. Oh, mm. I am? <laughs> oh, you are. Well, actually, soon, soon meaning like four months, but... Well, yeah. in a few months, but few like, months. yeah, we're in, in May, you're going to be moving to two new places. You're got, your dad is on the East Coast, and I'm going to be in New Mexico, right? Yeah. And so, you know, there's some big moves ahead for you. And so you are actually approaching this this big part of your journey. Yeah. And is it scary at all, a little bit? No. No? It's not because, scary? So well, why? here's the oh. thing. Here's the thing. It's scary, but in a different way. It's not like a, I'm really, really scared. It's more in a way of, you know, I don't really know what's going to happen. There's some uncertainty there. Mm-hmm. And I don't really know if I want to live with the decision I've made after. You know, but that's that's just life and that's it. And you can't do anything about that. So it's like I'm scared, not in, like I'm not like terrified. I'm not actually like like just fine with it. You know, I'm scared about it because it's a big move, a big change. A lot of uh, different interesting things will happen. But at the same time, you know, I've known this was coming for a while and I'm pretty prepared and the, whatever happens happens so yeah you know I think that's a pretty great attitude because that's that's like life isn't normally like oh my gosh I'm jumping off a cliff or something right but there is that 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 moment of you know uncertainty as you said I yeah. like that mm-hmm. and what helps you get through uncertainty well um a good thing is family food and friends the three <laughs> f's um uh so tell me about family what's good about family or what's just, a favorite? you know relaxing with family watching some tv uh, playing board games and stuff that's fun i know a special family member that almost always can help you out a little bit give you a booster who who do you think you well thanks babe but i was thinking of grandma judy oh yeah my grandma's <laughs> the best yeah so it's great to have those guides along the way those sort of cheerleaders she can't move for you she can't move to your dad's or with me and you know you'll be have two homes again still yeah. but uh but she can sure encourage you can't she and give you totally. some good cookies or something yeah <laughs> and then the food part um, it's probably you with family make great too. Wings, so. You like my wings? Yeah. <laughs> you know, all thanks, sweetie. And I... then dad always makes really, really good burritos. There you go. And so then you... Heather makes really, really, really good uh, linguine with clams. Nice. And then, um, yeah. well, Grandma Judy makes really good everything. And and the crab cakes, pork chops, steaks. <laughs> I'm getting um, hungry. <laughs> um, and then, yeah. And then the the final part, friends, it's just um, like my my best friend Hayden. He's always really been like a a really nice force in my life, and mm. been really nice to me. And I have two real best best friends, and that would be my friend Grayson, who I don't see too much, but I've known him since we were four and a half, so we're really good friends. And um, Hayden since third grade but we mm. uh, keep in touch and call each other almost every day that's awesome um, so yeah well you know i would say you're a great friend maker 
You know, wherever we go, I remember once we went on a little vacation in Arizona? Phoenix. Yes, Arizona. And you made friends with kids in the neighborhood. We'd oh, only yeah, been there. Oh, yeah, that was Sam and somebody else. Yes, yes, exactly. And you, and, and all of a sudden you had friends. And, uh, you know, people people uh, uh, seem to be attracted to your jolliness and your willingness to have fun and laugh. Mm-hmm. Laughter is always a good way to get through these inmost caves too, eh? Mm-hmm. Ha ha. Ha. <laughs> I love you. I remember, wait, before... Wait, wait, before we, we go, we you go, got one more thing? <laughs> the, we, um, I remember when I was little, and we just start laughing and laughing and laughing, and then 20 minutes later, I'm still laughing. <laughs> you remember that? Yeah. I got my certification as a laughter yoga teacher, and I started a class up in Carlisle, when we lived up in Massachusetts, called Hee Hee Mommy. <laughs> and I had you on me and we were, I was doing laughter with kiddos and little babies. And so maybe hopefully that helped you keep that jolliness. But you were always a jolly baby. I remember ever since you were little, I'd wake you up at three or four in the morning to go on travels. Your dad and I would. And uh, you were jolly. You're still jolly. <laughs> Tired but jolly. Tired but jolly. So um, I love you so much. Love you, Mom. And thanks for being part of me and the kid. Thanks for Great. being my kid. Love ya. Love ya. Bye. Bye. (laughs) That's all for this episode. Thanks for joining us on Cheers Journey Podcast. You'll find extra info and links in the show notes. Also, please make sure to visit us on cheersjourney.com, where you can subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you like to get your podcasts. While you're at it, if you liked our show, we'd really appreciate a positive review on iTunes. And it would be great if you told a friend about us too. Thanks, Harrison. You'll find all of the videograms of me and the kid in our Shiro's Journey IG page, or just type in Shiro's Journey on YouTube, and you'll find us there too. And now my favorite prayer. Thank you. Thanks to you, listeners, for joining us and bravely traversing your own journey. My special Shiro shoutouts go to Rachel Sessions, a truly gifted medicine woman, and Shiro sister, I am privileged to know. Thank you so much, Rachel, for your voice, for giving me permission to use your healing music and share with our listeners and play it throughout the show today. Thank you also to my fearless and badass production assistant, always superstar Shiro, Emma Bird, for her awesome designs and endless positivity. Mike Toda, podcast producer Randy Savage for the show Sweepers, Tord Funk, who composed the original music for my show, and big love to the awesome Shiro's and supporters in my life. You know who you are. And of course, a humongous shout out to all the Shiro's in the world and the people who love them. Find your light in the darkness. You are loved. And you got this. Keep climbing those mountains and slaying those dragons. See you next time.